0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Yankee Stadium in New York. It's the Cleveland Guardians 4 the New York Yankees 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And there you go, Guardians fans we've tied this series 1 to 1. This thing is a series now. It's going at least four games. We're playing both games in Cleveland. This is this is a thing now, right? After game 1, yeah. Maybe the Yankees just run away with the thing like they did in 2020 against us in that wild card series, right? Maybe maybe, but no. The Guardians said no. They said we will play our brand of baseball. And we will win that way. We are going to rally. We're going to bloop. We're going to hustle. We're going to play better defense than you. And we're going to come away with this win. We're going to take a game in New York. We're going to flip that home field advantage. And we're going to go back to Cleveland tied 1-1 to in this series. I mean, what an effort from the guys today. What an absolute effort from everyone on the field And it's fantastic. Uh, I got a message from Jeff in Chicago. He said, these Guardians look like their normal selves, not hitting home runs in close games, but manufacturing runs, hustling, and lights-out pitching. And he's right. Of course, we do get the one solo home run from Ahmed Rosario, who ties up the game in the fifth inning. But the other three runs all come from manufactured runs, from hustle, from putting the bat on the ball, from making contact. I mean, really, three bloop hits. Uh, Three bloop hits and then two smashed hits. Ahmed Rosario's and Josh Naylor's double that drives in the insurance run. Uh, But three bloop hits there from Jimenez in the fourth inning, from uh, Jose Ramirez in the tenth, and then from uh, Oscar Gonzalez right behind him in the tenth inning. Three real just Bat on the ball, contact, keeping it in play, fighting through it, bats, kind of hits. So Jeff in Chicago absolutely nails it right there. By the way, shout out to our youngest fan in Chicago. Uh, I hope she's listening and enjoying this episode. Uh, I think she's officially the youngest fan of Cleveland Baseball Mornings. So shout out to her. And uh, it's awesome. Another generation of Guardians fans coming along. So uh, let's get into this. Let's get into the storylines of this game. As you can tell, I'm excited. I'm pumped. I couldn't go to sleep. I got a second win tonight, and I just had to get on the mic. Uh, Frankly, I wanted to do this when uh, the energy was fresh. I got all the information in front of me. The baby's sound asleep, so we don't have to worry about that. That's right, folks. It's getting close to midnight here in Cleveland, which makes this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. All right, to my Guardians fans in Cleveland that are staying up late listening to this, to the Guardians fans all around the world that listen to Cleveland Baseball Mornings, let's get into the top storylines of this game. What did you have as your top storyline? Was it the pitching? Was it Shane Bieber's start? Was it the work by the bullpen? Frankly, for me, the top storyline in this game for me is we finally did it. We finally got a hit with runners in scoring position oh, I feel so good it feels so good now there were plenty of moments in this game where we didn't get a hit with runners in scoring position there were plenty of moments in this game where we left runners on base I mean in the first inning Quan with a lead off bunt single my god is he just not the most fun baseball player on the field in Major League Baseball right now Stephen Kwan just continues to quietly come up with ways to impress us over and over again. Two moments in this game where he really impresses. The the leadoff bunt right there is just on the first pitch. He just, boom, pushes it right past Cortez. Uh, They're playing him deep at second base. He knows exactly where he's going with the ball. A very impressive way to kick off the game, especially... You know, with the rain out and we're we're sitting and thinking about this game, you know, for an extra 24 hours to come out and do that. Cortez was probably game planning on how he was going to pitch Quan. And, you know, Aaron Boone was thinking about how he's going to align the field, right? And then it doesn't matter because Quan goes and does that on the first pitch of the game. Uh, The other moment was the catch, the shoestring catch he made with runners on scoring position uh, in the middle of this game. Uh, He saves Bieber, he saves an RBI, and he absolutely steals a hit later in this game. So two brilliant moments from Stephen Kwan in this game. Ahmed Rosario doesn't ground into a double play this time. Doesn't ground out. He actually shoots one through to the opposite field. We've got runners on first and second. Jose Ramirez gets a little aggressive, flies out to left field. Frankly, he didn't look very comfortable swinging from the right side of the plate. Uh, he looked much more comfortable swinging from the left side of the plate. And so, yeah. So, man, uh, whatever we got to do to get him to face a righty, uh, to face a yeah a right-handed pitcher, uh, he didn't look comfortable facing the lefty. So he pops up there, and then Oscar Gonzalez, unfortunately, uh, lines into an uninsisted double play, lines out to the first baseman, Anthony Rizzo. That's just a bad break. I mean, there's nothing Ahmed Rosario could do. He's taking a secondary lead. There's nothing he can do. It's right to Rosario. It puts, uh, Rizzo, it's right to Rizzo. It puts him right in line with first base. I mean, he easily beats Ahmed Rosario back to the bag. He's a, he's a dead duck out there. He's an absolute dead duck out there. There's nothing he can do. It's not bad base running. That's bad, bat-bip. That's bad, bat-bip. By the way, uh, you know, I talk about the baseball gods a lot in the show, and bat-bip has a lot to do with the baseball gods. Uh, and, uh, They had some audio. They had Tristan McKenzie mic'd up. And Tristan McKenzie, while being mic'd up in the dugout, referenced the baseball gods. So I feel a little bit vindicated there that these guys talk about that in the dugout. They, you know, obviously baseball players are known for being superstitious. But to hear Tristan McKenzie just say it to another teammate, right? The baseball gods. Uh, I really enjoyed that. So uh, yeah, baseball gods were not shining on Oscar Gonzalez or Ahmed Rosario on this play. So. We do leave runners on in scoring position there. We leave Quan stranded at second base. Uh, and then in the uh, fourth inning, though, in the fourth inning, we finally do it. We finally come through with runners in scoring position. And uh, it starts with a Josh Naylor two-out infield single. Are you kidding me? Uh, he legs one out here. Uh, he chops one to second base and uh, Glaber Torres tries to make a play on it, but frankly, he's so close to Rizzo that Rizzo can't really react to the ball, and Naylor, you know, is safe, basically. Uh, It's an ugly play, but uh, we wouldn't expect anything less from Josh Naylor to turn an ugly play into an infield single. Owen Miller does the only valuable thing he he will do in this entire game, uh, which is draw a walk here and move Naylor into scoring position. And that brings up Andres Jimenez. He's down in the count 0-2. And, uh, you know, Cortez is clearly trying to uh, get the ball away. The catcher is set up down and away. This pitch is supposed to be out of the strike zone. And instead, he just catches too much of the plate. Andres Jimenez flicks the bat out there and is able to poke this thing into right field. 71.3 mile per hour exit velocity. When I tell you it was a bloop, it was a bloop. Uh, Only goes 209 feet, drops in front of Aaron Judge, and uh, Josh Naylor is on his horse. It doesn't matter how that leg is feeling. When Naylor needs to run this year, he will run no matter what he's feeling in that foot, in that leg. And uh, who knows if he would have been safer out. It doesn't matter because Judge absolutely sails the throw, throws it basically to the back railing. Um, and Naylor comes in and scores the first run from the Guardians, claws us back a little bit into this game. But the point is we proved we can get a hit with runners in scoring position. Finally, finally, we get the we get we get one. Not the big one, but we get one, right? We get a run across our style, our way of baseball. All right, we prove we could put one on the board that way. It's the first run scored, not via the home run by the guardians. There was another moment that had me literally almost punching my desk. It was the sixth inning. Oh, it was frustrating. Uh, Andre Jimenez gets on via the walk. So he's getting on base. Man, our all-star. He steals second base. A nice steal there. Hedges does strike out in the at-bat. And then Miles Straw would fly out to end that threat. So two guys go down. They are eight and nine hitters. But two guys go down with a runner in scoring position in there in the sixth inning. It just felt like... Oh, man, it was a 2-1 to game, and just, you, you didn't know. Actually, it was a 2-2 game at that point, right? Ahmed Rosario had already tied it with the home run. It was a 2-2 game, and you just, we really needed to take the lead. Like, the pitching was doing so well that we just really needed to take the lead so that our bullpen could finish the game. Now, our bullpen would end up finishing the game, but not in the way any of us expected them to. So I really that one in the sixth inning, I really wanted Andres Jimenez after he stole second base. I really wanted someone to be able to drive him in, and they just couldn't do it. Straw flies out to end that threat. Uh, They would threaten again in the ninth inning. Uh, Two guys on with two outs. He finally uses a pinch hitter in the ninth inning. I don't understand why Francona is so nervous to use a pinch hitter. Why did he carry Benson? and uh, Gabriel Arias, and the younger Naylor brother. Why did he carry these guys if he doesn't want to use a pinch hitter? Instead, he lets Owen Miller go out there and face right-handed pitcher after right-handed pitcher and strike out bad. Really bad. So he finally uses a pinch hitter here in the ninth inning. Of course, Will Brennan strikes out, but Miles Straw draws a walk with two outs. Stephen Kwan reaches via a fielding error um, in the ninth inning. Uh, First baseman Anthony Rizzo can't field it cleanly. It's a little unfair because he's playing in, uh, holding straw at the bag. Uh, It's a 92-mile-per-hour shot, so not technically a hard-hit ball, but I think uh, Anthony Rizzo would tell you it's a pretty hard-hit ball. Uh, He's the one who had a hit at him. So It goes as an error against Rizzo, but anyways, it puts runners on the corner. Oh, for Ahmed Rosario, is he gonna get the high leverage hit here? No, he grounds out, grounds out, I believe, first pitch swinging, too. Uh, he grounds out to uh, Donaldson at third base to end the threat. So, uh, again, runners in scoring position. I mean, it's the huge storyline of this game. We were able to do it a few times, but it was very very difficult, and yes, Ahmed Rosario was swinging at the first pitch there with runners on the corner in the ninth inning. So the tenth inning comes up, and I mean, this is the big moment of the game. This is the highlight you're going to see over and over again. Jose Ramirez uh, is fighting pitches off. Uh, let's go to the matchup here. Uh James Tallien is in, and he is trying to work Ramirez up with fastballs. Throws him two two two-seamers up that he misses with. He falls behind 2-0. He drops a curveball in for a called strike and then tries to go back up the four-seam fastball. Frankly, I think Ramirez will probably tell you this is not what he was intending to do with the ball. It looked like he was trying to pull the ball or trying to drive it hard up the middle, but he ends up making weak contact, popping it behind third base. Uh, The left fielder comes screaming in for the Yankees. It looks like he hesitates. That's Cabrera out there for the Yankees, the young kid. It looks like he saw Donaldson coming out from third base and hesitates for just a second. So some poor communication right there. It causes Cabrera to hesitate for a second, and he can't come up with the sliding catch. Uh, Donaldson jumps on the ball, at least reacts to it, but Jose Ramirez never stops running. Donaldson could feel it. He said he saw him out of the corner of his eye, that he wasn't going to stop running. That's not Ramirez's game. From the crack of the bat, there's like a moment where you could see Ramirez react and go, well, not what I planned on doing, but we're going with it. And he sprints out of the batter's box, flies around first base, doesn't break his stride. He's in the second. The throw from Donaldson, you know, he rushes the throw. So he ends up throwing it wide. Uh, The second baseman almost collides with the second-base umpire trying to get this ball. So it rolls towards Rizzo at first base, but Ramirez never stops, goes into third, headfirst slide. He's safe at third. They throw the ball around the infield. It's a little league triple. It ends up going as a double and then advancing on the error. Uh, But we got a leadoff runner on third base in extra innings now. And then that brings up Oscar Gonzalez, uh, once again, interesting at bat, Talion is just pounding him away up and in. Just firing away with fastballs and two seamers up and in. Tries to throw a cutter, but misses down and away with it. Makes it a one and two count. Goes back up with another fastball that he fouls off again way up and in. Just Gonzalez is swinging at pitches out of the strike zone here, but he's fouling him off. He's staying alive, and then he throws him a curveball. So he goes from throwing a 96, basically, 95.9, 96.1, 96.4, an 89.7 mile per hour cutter down and away, goes back with a 95.7 fastball, and then drops an 83 mile per hour cutter or curveball, sorry, 83 mile per hour curveball right down the middle. The change of speed definitely messes with Oscar Gonzalez. You can see it in his swing. But he is so locked in and just make contact, make contact, stay alive, make contact. And what does he end up doing? The infield is pulled in because of that runner in third. And he loops it behind Rizzo's head at first base and drops it in for an RBI single and brings in Jose Ramirez, the go-ahead run to score. If they're playing back in their normal infield depth, I, I don't know if Rizzo catches this or not. He might have a shot at catching this. Uh, behind first base, but they're pulled in because of that runner at third, so the Guardians hustle and their contact approach create a run here. That's what we're talking about. The Guardians don't have to hit home runs because they can create runs through their their patience, through their contact, and through their hustle. They create a run right here, and then Josh Naylor works a really long at-bat, an eight-pitch at-bat, Italian is going back and forth between hard stuff and curveball and hard stuff and curveball. And then finally, the first pitch of the at-bat that he follows off is a fastball right down the middle. He doesn't see another fastball on the plate until the eighth pitch of the at-bat. There were fastballs inside. There was a two-seamer up at the top of the strike zone that he laid off. He finally gets another fastball back in the strike zone. It's up at the thighs, and he drives this thing 108.5 miles per hour. And he even admitted uh, Harrison Bader in center field, who's normally a ridiculously good fielder, took a bad route on the ball. He almost breaks in a little bit, and then has to curl back as this ball goes over his head and off the center field wall. One hops the center field wall, and it brings in uh, Oscar Gonzalez, who was moving on the pitch. He was running on the pitch. He hesitates for a second as he's getting to second base to just see how Bader is playing this thing, because... Bader looks pretty confident coming in and then has to bail on his route and break back on the ball, and then Gonzalez knows it's on, and he's off to the races, and he scores all the way from first base as the insurance run. It's a huge double from Josh Naylor. Unfortunately, they're not able to bring Naylor in from uh, second base there. Three ground outs in a row end the threat, but the job is done. We get a hit with runner in scoring position here in the 10th inning, and then another hit that drives in a runner from first base. A big extra base hit here from Josh Naylor, and it's Guardians baseball. Double, single, double, back-to-back like that, taking extra bases, running, you know, moving on the pitch from Gonzalez, being aggressive on the base pass right there, You uh, you know. Whether it's a steal or it's a hit and run, you know, Uh, He's moving. The point is he's moving, and he's being aggressive on the base paths, and he scores all the way from first. That is Guardians baseball right there in the 10th inning. Uh, Just fun stuff. Just absolutely fun stuff from your Guardians offense. So it took a while to get there, and there were moments where it didn't look like it was going to happen. I told you the Guardians end up going 2-for-11 with runners in scoring position, but I'll tell you what. There's a huge, huge difference between 0 for 8 in Game One with runners in scoring position to 2 for 11 with runners in scoring position in Game Two. I mean that's a huge difference in the playoffs. Uh, you know I I put a star next to this note. I I really want to emphasize this. It is hard to rally in the playoffs. Go ask the Yankees. They had their moments too. Uh, they had their moments in the eighth inning when Karinchuk walks the bases loaded and Hishigawa. Lines out uh, to third base to end that threat. It's hard to rally in the playoffs. Uh, ask him about the sixth inning when they get two guys on and they knock Bieber out of the game. And then Stefan comes in and strikes out Matt Carpenter to end that threat. Uh, ask the Yankees about, where was the one where Quan made the nice shoestring catch off Donaldson? In the third inning. When they get two guys on, a walk and a single from Rizzo and Glaber Torres, he strikes out Stanton would homer in the first inning, and then Donaldson hits one 101.9 miles per hour in the left field It has a 750 expected batting average, but they didn't expect Stephen Kwan out there, who snags the shoestring line drive and ends the threat in the third inning. So go ahead and ask the Yankees. It is hard to rally In the playoffs, it is hard to create runs the way the Guardians do. It's a little bit easier against Kansas City's pitching, right? Or Detroit's pitching. It's a tiny bit easier. Uh, Heck, even Minnesota's pitching this year. Uh, It's a little bit easier than it is off of what you're facing in the playoffs, which is the best of the best pitching that baseball has to offer. Whether they're wearing a Guardians uniform or a Yankees uniform or an Astros uniform or a Mariners uniform, I feel like the AL, it's a really, really ridiculously tough pitching field this year. So the fact that they go 2-for-11 with runners in scoring position, like that is a major victory. On the other side of the thing, the Yankees are 0-for-7 with runners in scoring position, and that's the difference in the game. It is really, really hard to create these rallies in the playoffs. The the intensity is cranked. Forget 10. The intensity is cranked up to 100. And uh, the Guardians have two moments in this game, and it proves to be the difference right there. Now, we did have a home run. Give some respect to Ahmed Rosario. Again, we've talked about this all season. Ahmed Rosario has a tendency to come up with plenty of hits in low leverage situations in high leverage situations. Like he finds himself in, in the, uh, in the ninth inning, he grounds out, but in a low leverage situation with nobody on base in the middle of the game out of nowhere, he just comes up with a solo home run to tie the game. Now, what I said on Twitter and I'll say again, is there are no such thing as low leverage situations in the playoffs. Every single at-bat in the playoffs should be considered a high-leverage situation. And he ties the game here. So Ahmed Rosario, just, he gets two, uh, two pitches down and in in a row. The first one, I think, was a cutter that misses. The second one is a fastball that comes down and in in the strike zone. And he just goes down and gets this thing off the lefty and hits it 106.5 mile-per-hour exit velocity to pretty much straightaway center field. 416 feet, had a 960 expected batting average. So Ahmed Rosario ties the game up there with a home run kind of out of nowhere. Just, yeah, out of nowhere. You just weren't expecting that. You were waiting to maybe try to start another rally. You just rallied in the fourth inning, right? You just worked a couple walks off him. Uh quan flies out to start the inning, and then boom, Rosario just out of nowhere hits this home run to tie the game. So got to give the guy a shout out right there. Ahmed Rosario, statistically, right, as far as fan graphs go and as far as war and OPS plus and WRC plus goes, you know, those advanced stats, Ahmed Rosario might not pop in those advanced stats. But as far as the eye test goes and as far as what he means to this team, like you could tell the leadership role Ahmed Rosario plays on this team. And the fact that he hits this home run here to tie the game was a huge, huge pivotal moment in this game. Takes a lot of pressure off the offense to know that they can give up a two-run home run early in this game in the first inning and they can claw back from that. That it's not, you know, it's not the end of the line to give up a home run to the Yankees. You can climb back and you can continue to play your style of baseball. You don't have to. Get into a home run derby with them. Right? This solo home run here, uh, you know, took a lot of the pressure off and let them continue to play their style of baseball uh, with a tie game. And eventually, hey, it takes to the 10th inning, but it's no, Guardians are no stranger to extra innings. They're no strangers to rainouts and extra innings. And uh, that's kind of wh- how, what led to this Friday victory for them. So uh, other storylines in this game, of course we're going to talk pitching. Of course we are, because Bieber, yes, he gives up the home run early to Stanton. It's it's an interesting one where he gets a call that probably could have gone either way, a borderline pitch that, yeah, was probably out of the strike zone, a cutter that gets called for a strike on a 3-1 count. So Stanton has to come back into the box And, you know, he had worked him the entire at-bat. He had worked him down and away, down and away. Did a good job of keeping it down until the last pitch of the at-bat. He had just got the call on that cutter uh, down and away. And he decides to come back with a four-seam fastball. And he goes up with it and catches way too much of the strike zone. Way too much for Stanton. And he shoots this thing out to right field at 105.2 miles per hour. 3.52 to the short porch in right field. And Stanton is no stranger to this. If we look at his spray chart on the year, he has a ton of home runs poked out here to right field. So he seems to either pull the ball hard to left or poke it really hard to right. Uh, Only two home runs are hit to center field on the season. So those are his two spots, and he does it here against Bieber in the first inning. But after that, Bieber absolutely locks in, and I would say out pitches Nestor Cortez. Uh, The final line between the two of them, Cortez only lasts five innings, gives up six hits, two earned runs, three walks, uh, only three strikeouts, one home run given up on 92 pitches. He's only hard hit four times, but it's enough to score two runs. Meanwhile, on the other side, it's interesting, Bieber goes five and two-thirds and that would prove to be significant, those two-thirds of an inning. Uh, gives up five hits. Uh, does give up two runs as well. Also walks three, but he strikes out seven. Also gives up a home run on 101 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. But those seven strikeouts were huge. I mean, Bieber's thing has always been the strikeout. He has carried that tradition of the, uh, the 20-teens, Guardians pitchers, right? Kluber and Carrasco and yeah, Trevor Bauer and Clevenger. Those guys were all about the strikeout, and Bieber has definitely kept that tradition alive, even though, you know, Quantrill might pitch a little more to contact and uh, Plisak and uh, some of the other guys might pitch a little more to contact. Bieber still goes for those strikeouts, and he racks up seven in this game. And frankly, he was pretty nasty with the cutter and the uh, slider. It's interesting here. I'm over on the Baseball Savant page, and if you follow along with the podcast and you actually look at these Baseball Savant pages, they decided to change things up for the playoffs. Sure, why not? We've only done this for 162 games. Change the layout for the playoffs. Why not? But we do have some more information here. We have some plate discipline information now available to us. Uh, So if something pops out, to me on that. I'll let you know. But the thing that's popping out to me is the CSW numbers for our Guardians pitchers. Bieber on the day. Now, CSW is pretty simple stat. It is called strikes plus whiffs, and it's the percentage of your total pitches that you were able to earn yourself either a called strike by locating a pitch really well or getting a whiff by throwing something nasty that a guy couldn't handle. And The uh, good pitchers Good pitchers are over 30. Elite pitchers are over 40% on their CSWs. Well, guess where Bieber ends up? A 42% total CSW on the day. It was a very elite day for Shane Bieber when it came to getting strikes. And he ends up throwing the cutter the most of any pitch on the day. The knuckle curve, which is a pitch he can normally get a lot of strikes on. He only throws nine times. Throws 26 four-seam fastballs, throws 31 sliders, and 35 cutters. And what I can tell you is that the cutter and the four-seam fastball were very much thrown in the strike zone. 50% of the time, the fastball was in the strike zone. 51% of the time, the cutter was. The slider was not. He was getting them to expand the strike zone with the slider. Only 29% of the time was that slider in the strike zone. Uh, So the uh, numbers on the cutter... A 65% whiff rate on the cutter, 11 whiffs on 17 swings. On the slider, a 53% whiff rate on the slider, 8 whiffs on 15 swings, and then 11 called strikes from the four-seam fastball. So that's how he was getting it done on the day. It's a 54% whiff rate total on the day for Shane Bieber. 50 more than half the time when those guys took the bat off their shoulders they were whiffing at his pitches. So yeah, he did give up three walks and he got himself into a couple of jams and yeah, he left one cutter up or one fastball up for Giancarlo Stanton, a uh, you know, a prolific home run hitter. But man, other than that, he was pretty nasty and unhittable on the day. Now, I told you, him and Nestor Cortez, it was a different battle on the day. Cortez only has a 20% whiff rate on the day. He got a few on the fastball, a few on his cutter. None of his off-speed stuff really gets a whiff. Uh, It's 10 whiffs on 50 swings, so a 20% whiff rate for Cortez. Uh, It's only a 26% CSW on the day for Nestor Cortez. So, much, much different approaches uh, for these guys on the day. So a beautiful job from Bieber. And those two-thirds of an inning were a huge difference because uh, you know, Aaron Boone really burns through his bullpen. He brings Trevino in for the sixth, doesn't even let him finish the sixth, goes to Loggia, who gives him an inning and two-thirds, so who gives him some length. Then he goes to Juan Peralta for an inning. Clay Holmes only gets two-thirds of an inning uh, to finish off the ninth inning. Then he goes to Italian and he has to use Schmidt uh, to finish the game uh, to get those three ground outs to finish the 10th inning uh, before his team comes to bat. So he ends up running through six arms in his bullpen. Meanwhile, on the other side of things, uh, Bieber getting two outs in the sixth inning. Trevor Steffen is able to finish the sixth, come back out and pitch the seventh. What does he do? Faces four batters and strikes them all out on 21 pitches. Karinczak comes in for the eighth inning. Uh, only last two-thirds of an inning. He does a very classic Karinczak thing, which is strikeout two, but walk three. So he walks the bases loaded, and Emmanuel Clase has to come in and just gives a, man, a Herculean effort uh, out of the bullpen. Goes two and a third's inning out of the bullpen. Ends up throwing 33 pitches. Uh, but absolutely shuts down the Yankees. Gives up a hit and a walk, but two strikeouts on 33 pitches. He's only hard hit once and just shuts them down for two and a third innings. He finishes the eighth inning for Karinchek. He comes in and handles the ninth inning to keep the Guardians in this game and send it to extra innings. How did he finish it uh, in the uh, eighth inning? That's right. He got Hishigawa to line out to Jose Ramirez. Comes in, gets a strikeout, ground out, does give up a single to Rizzo, but Glaber Torres hits into a force out. So, not surprising there. Strikeouts and groundouts are his game. And then they were talking about it on the broadcast. I mean, Costas didn't have many great conversations on the broadcast. Uh, I, I frankly don't feel like him and his partner have watched a single Guardians game the entire season, but uh, they're who we're dealing with on the call. I guess you can listen to the radio if you really want to listen to someone who understands what's going on in this game between these two teams. A perfect example of this is when Naylor was limping uh, on that close play at first base where he legs out the infield single and he's limping. They have no idea that Naylor was you know, dealing with that broken leg all season and he's been limping on and off that leg all season and just been gutting it out all season. They don't know. They're like, oh, sometimes you step on first base a little hard. Uh, so yeah, so uh, <laughs> anyways, um, so yeah, so he goes in there, he gets the uh, groundouts in the strikeouts in the ninth inning, and then they were talking, if the Guardians take the lead, does he stick with classe? I mean, classe is the closer, and it's a save situation now, and yeah, he does, he does stay with Class a. Uh classe said after the game that uh, he basically went into the mentality when he used to be a starter in the minors. Can you imagine that? 100 mile per hour cutters as a starter? (sighs) Having to deal with that for five or six innings? Uh, But yeah, he said, look, I've been a starter before, and I just kind of went into that mentality. They were were communicating with me well between innings, so I knew what was ahead for me. And I just stayed focused and stayed in the game. Now, I will tell you that uh, it's absolutely amazing that he goes this long. He had never pitched. More than a single inning the entire season. Never had gone more than an inning in the entire season. And he had never thrown more. The most pitches he had thrown on the season were 23 pitches. Coincidentally, also against the Yankees. On July 3rd, he got the save on a 2-0 win. Uh, He pitches the ninth inning, but he gives up two walks and a strikeout. So he has to throw a lot of pitches to do it but he's able to get out of it in 23 pitches. So here, he throws 33 pitches. I mean, he really, really extended himself. I have to imagine he is going to be unavailable for the Game 3 back in Cleveland. I, I have to imagine that Francona is going to do everything in his power not to use him. I mean, Francona has... He's burned out a relief pitcher before in the playoffs. Like, we've seen it. We saw what he did with... uh in 2016, what he did with Andrew Miller and with Cody Allen, right? He really used up everything those guys had left at the end of the season. I don't, I, I don't know. It'll be really interesting. I know he's probably thinking to himself, please, please give me a situation where even if I have to put Karen out back out there or Stefan back out there for a save, maybe, uh, give me a situation where I can get through this game without using class A so that he can come back and pitch games four and five. Uh, it's, a, I mean, just an unbelievable effort from Classe right there. And uh, his stuff was working too. I mean, he was getting his ground outs in the, uh, in the 10th inning. Somehow they get a fly out off of him. Uh, that never happens. But Donaldson draws a walk, but then a strikeout to Oswaldo Cabrera and a ground out from Kinner to end things. So, of course, it's a strikeout and a ground out from uh, Classe. Looking at his CSW numbers, what was working? Uh, 41% whiff rate. He was doing it with both pitches, the cutter and the slider. Three whiffs on the cutter, four whiffs on the slider, five called strikes on the cutter. So it's a 39% CSW. It's always a little harder to judge uh, for relievers. Uh, Obviously, it's a much smaller sample size. So the CSW numbers aren't exactly the same. But the other guy we got to look at is Trevor Steffen, because he was just downright filthy. Strikes out all four batters he faces, and not surprisingly, 78% whiff rate. Seven whiffs on nine stri- on nine swings, plus four called strikes. It's a 52% CSW for Trevor Steffen. And just, I mean, to come in and finish off that inning for Bieber but then to go out there and strike out the side the next time through. So he gets Carpenter, uh, goes six pitches, but eventually gets him to swing at a splitter right at the knees uh, after he had just challenged him with a four-seam fastball at 97.4 miles per hour. That was the pitch for Carpenter. That's the one he's going to be kicking himself about. It's a fastball kind of right down the middle. Then he throws him that hard splitter at 90.4 right at the knees, and he swings through it. Uh, The next batter he would face in the next inning, it would be Harrison Bader, so he's turning the lineup over here against the righty Bader, throws him all sliders, five pitches, five sliders, eventually gets him to chase one, tries to get him to chase one in the dirt because he's ahead one and two in the count. Uh, He doesn't chase that one in the dirt, but he throws him another one a lot closer to the knees, and he swings through that one, for strike three, so all sliders to Bader. Then Judge comes up. Judge, who's having a miserable series right now, and let's keep it that way. Please, let's keep it that way. Uh, Judge gets a four-seam fastball on the outside edge that he uh, swings through for a strike. He foul tips a four-seam fastball high and tight, up and in, Uh, tries to throw him that splitter in the dirt, but he lays off it, and then comes back with that splitter. Down and in, and he can't lay off at this time. So the splitter gets himself another victim, and then Stefan has to fa- face Anthony Rizzo. Falls behind with some fastballs away to the lefty. Two uh, and comes back with a slider that catches the outside edge to make it two one. Comes back with a four seam fastball that catches the inside edge uh, to make it a two two count. Throws him that splitter down and away. He lays off it. It's in the dirt again. Comes back, keeps it more at the knees this time, but still keeps it below the strike zone, and he swings through it. The splitter gets another victim. So three of the four strikeouts go down via the splitter to Trevor Steffen. Just absolutely, it's a filthy, filthy pitch. They know it's coming, and they still can't hit it. Oh, man, he keeps it down. When he keeps it down right there, right at the shins, It's just an unhittable pitch right there. The bottom just falls out of that splitter. So it's a beautiful job by Stefan in relief uh, and really finishing what Bieber started with those seven strikeouts from Bieber, adding four more himself uh, in an inning and a third on 21 pitches. So I think Stefan and it will be interesting. I know you're saying, Davey, what's the difference between 29 pitches and 33 pitches? It's because Class A's were such... I feel like they were more intense, right? Karinczak was, he was actually a little bit wild. We're used to him being wild with his fastball high. He was a little wide this time. He was missing in and out with those fastballs. Not high this time. So, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like Karinczak worked as hard as Class a worked in this game. So, I think that wraps it up. I think that wraps up all my thoughts on this one. It's a heck of a battle from your Cleveland Guardians. MVP on the day. I know you're probably looking at the offensive side of things, maybe Jose Ramirez for hustling all the way to third to kick off that tenth inning, but I gotta give MVP on the day to Emmanuel Clase. He went absolutely above and beyond in relief this game, and uh, you know he not only does he save Karencheck's butt with the bases loaded in the eighth inning, he does his job in the ninth inning, and then comes back out there and finishes things off in the tenth inning. Absolutely could not have got this thing done today without that effort from Emmanuel Classe. So he's taken home MVP on the day. Man, we've got ourselves a fun series here between the Yankees and the Guardians. This is what I was looking for. This is what I'm talking about. Houston is up 2-0 on Seattle. They could finish this thing. Uh, By the time you're listening to this, frankly, Houston could be finishing that side of the bracket up. Uh, but the uh, the Phillies have taken a 2-1 lead over the Braves. So the sixth-place card team has a chance to move on over the division winner that won 100 games. And right now, while we're recording this, the Padres are up 2-1 in the top of the ninth as they enter the top of the ninth inning. So the Padres, another wildcard team, has a chance to go up uh, two games to one over the Dodgers. So there's a chance... All of the division winners in the National League could get knocked out of this thing before the ALCS, and we could be looking at two wildcard teams facing each other in the ALCS, or in the NLCS. That would be wild. Meanwhile, in the ALCS, we might be down to only the division winners if Houston can finish that thing off and the Guardians and the Yankees continue to battle. So different things going on in the different leagues right now. It is wild stuff in the MLB playoffs, and uh, man, it's just fun to be a part of it, right? Obviously, the ultimate goal is to win a World Series, but we always talk about how baseball is just, it's fun. It's the fun pastime that we enjoy all summer, and when it gets to this point in the season, man, it is just fun to have your team in it. And the bonus, the bonus is that these guys are good enough to beat anybody in baseball the way they play the way they hustle the way they play defense and the way they pitch they are good enough to beat anybody on any day and the yankees are going to continue to suffer through it and the yankees fans are going the yankees fans are going to continue to suffer through it and i'm glad our team does that to them i'm glad we shut down that crowd we shut even though they had the lead they had that two you know nothing lead right in the first inning the way we played we really kind of shut down that crowd in new york we had the momentum from Jimenez's RBI single. We had the momentum in that game. We had that stadium. That's right. We went in and we shut down Yankee Stadium. So uh man, we play a fun brand of baseball, and I am enjoying the heck out of these playoffs right now. So thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from New York. It's the Guardians four, the Yankees two. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveyFerris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me, know your, let me know your thoughts on everything that went down in Game 2, whether it's the hustle, it's the blue pits, the Herculean job out of the bullpen from some of our guys. Please, morning morning people, morning people, where are you at? Let me know what you're thinking about this playoff run. Hit me up at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. That's right. We're doing this show at night, so thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly.